0: All right, everybody, I got Coach Overfeld. Is that how you went by in your coaching days, by the way? Was it Coach O, or did they have a Coach short... O,
1: Coach O is usually what most of my kids call me.
0: Because I like the sound of that, actually.
1: <laughs> Nobody could say Overfeld, so they just, just stuck with the...
0: Yeah. The... <laughs> Coach O kind of rolls off the tongue a little better, anyway.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the host of the Injured List podcast, Brian Scott.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Injured List. Your host, Brian Scott. Thanks for joining us. We have a special guest, Jeremy Overfelt, former collegiate football coach and player, comes to talk with us today about sports injuries and how it affected his recruiting and coaching career. So he's got some great stories and information to share. So stick with us. We'll be back after a word from our sponsors.
2: Hey, this is Sean Colas with the Perkentile and Creamery. We are the premier coffee, ice cream, and dessert bar in the Charlotte metro area. We're thrilling people with our amazing interior design, our incredible customer service, and the quality of our offerings. We have a beautifully designed 1920s mercantile-themed monochromatic throwback where people feel excited by their surroundings and blown away by their treats. We're great for business meetings, families, couples, and you. Ask about our room rentals for meetings, events, or parties. We're nestled next to the Concord Mills Mall behind Verizon and in the same building as McAllister's in Concord, North Carolina. If you're in the area and you're listening to this right now, get in your car, drive over to the Perkintile, mention that you heard us on Brian Scott's amazing Injury List Podcast 2020, and receive 25% off your purchase.
0: Hey guys, are you looking to avoid injury when it comes to your finances? Talk to a professional who can help. Whether you are looking to get your financial house in order or simply looking for that second opinion, visit TrustTreeFinancial.com and schedule your free virtual consultation. Once again, that's TrustTreeFinancial.com.
2: This is the Injured List Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Are you
1: interested in being a guest on the show? Or do you know someone who would make a good guest?
2: Want Brian Scott to be on your show? If so,
1: share the podcast with your friends. Or drop us a line and we will get back to you right away. Email us at theinjuredlist411 at gmail.com
0: or visit our website at www.TheInjuredList.com. Jeremy, tell me a little bit about your uh, your background in collegiate football, your playing career, and how that kind of morphed into your coaching career.
1: Okay. Um, I was a uh, safety-slash-outside linebacker at the University of Richmond um, to FCS school, so it's not with the, uh, the big boys, but it's a level below. I still played some schools like... University of Virginia and Maryland, depending as uh to open up seasons most years uh, to uh take our guarantee money and, and get, get our brains beat in by big schools.
0: Well, don't so, sell yourself short though. I mean, there are some pretty good players coming out of that. There, there's
1: some great nowadays there's a lot more talent, especially with North Dakota and James Madison and some of those guys producing some some top level guys like Carson Wentz. And these are even gonna be some, you know, Trey Lance is coming out in this year's draft. You know, skies like that coming out of some of those big time schools. So, but the the, the recruiting for those schools and the talent level that's at those places has come a long way in the the 20 years. It's, uh, you know, they just got rid of the leather helmets when I was playing. So, well,
0: we won't uh, put a number on it. They're it's not very important <laughs> to the topic not. that we're covered tonight anyway, So,
1: Absolutely. So um, when I was done with that, uh, oh, I was in Richmond. I got a degree in uh, pre-med biology was the track that I took. Um, so when I got done with that, um, we had a former uh, Richmond coach that had been in the coaching ranks for a long time and uh, had reached out to me about possibly taking a coaching job at a, a smaller Division three school. Um, you know, I thought it was something I wanted to pursue. So I, I ended up coaching there for two years, working with the linebackers and was the strength coordinator for the football team. Um, so, you know, it's been a good experience, really liked where it was at, thought it was my calling and it was for, for a good pro- portion of my life. So, um, decided that if I was going to stay in the ranks, we would try to, uh, to, to move up a little bit. So I took a graduate assistant job at Moorhead state, which is another FCS school, sure. um, in Kentucky and, uh, you know, had good success there. Um, I was the quarterback coach for two seasons. Um, we had two kids that ended up playing, or at least making uh, the camp invite cuts for NFL teams. Um, one of my former players, Charlie Bird, is actually still a strength coach with the New Orleans Saints. Okay. Um, and played in the league for three or four years before he tore his ACL, and uh, you know I had to find, had his calling to the strength and condition side of things. So um but it was a good time there just got to see kind of a different level of talent from a coaching standpoint um used the relationships there in kentucky to do uh, another ga for a semester uh with university of kentucky uh, with joker phillips and that staff when they were there and uh that quickly came to a i got a great taste of, of true division one college football we got brought in and uh, didn't win a lot of games and uh, didn't have a, a head coach there anymore. So um, got got to spend an entire semester in that program to see what it was like. And then moved on from there um, to do another year's worth of GA at West Virginia University under Rich Rod um, when he had, had those guys there. And we had some great players like Noah Devine. Um, uh, Owen Schmidt, the big fullback that was there that everybody remembers beating his head open with uh, football helmet and things like that. Um, you know, So once again, got to see some talent, um, but truthfully kind of got burned out with the coaching ranks and uh, decided I wanted to kind of do focus a little more on the strength and condition side of things. So I moved to Washington, D.C. and took a job with a company called Velocity Sports Performance.
0: I know them well. Um,
1: Yep. So moved there. Um, and we were doing combine prep, basically trying to get local guys, um, that had gone off to some of the bigger schools ready for the NFL combine or pro days at their individual schools. Um, and that was great. I love working with those guys trying you know, seeing the, those guys reap the rewards of coming in and working for, you know, eight to 10 weeks and seeing how we could improve them. And then also getting to see them move on to the league and stuff. Um, but you know it's. Uh, you can only train those guys for a couple months out of the year, and then the rest of the year was a little more day-to-day care. Um, you know, really uh, white-collar parents kind of dropping their kids off for for sports training stuff, and that's sure. not really what I wanted to get into. Yeah. So I uh, took a job with a local Division two school there called Shepherd University. That's about 45 minutes northwest of Washington, D.C., and uh, spent nine seasons there as the – special teams coordinator, uh, worked with the safeties and was the strength coach for the entire athletic department. So, um, had some really good success there. Um, went to the national championship and in 2015 and, and got beat up pretty good, but you know, for a team that had never won a region and got out of a true playoff style bracket before we had taken a team with some really good tradition, um, and kind of taken it to the next level with finding some kids that, uh, Ended up being nfl players um you know while i was there i think we had nine kids that went on to play in the nfl at least in camp rosters make teams you know all kinds of different levels but um had success finding kids that weren't your your prototypical division one true bodies or didn't have the academics um that needed to stay close to home there in dc and uh you know had had all the makes of NFL players by the time we got them done with four or five years there. And, and some of them are still in the league bouncing
0: around as we speak. So. It's great how you can take those guys that kind of mold them at that age, especially at that level too. It seems like that level, I think they're kind of more apt to kind of take advice and really listen to the coaches and.
1: Yeah. Of- I mean, the, the big thing that I found when I got there is that, um, you know, we kind of had a niche, where we were right outside the DMV um, and, you know, there's a lot of kids that just didn't quite have academics coming from, you know, Baltimore, inner city, DC, some of those places to go to the division one schools, but were division one talent athletes had those type of bodies. And, you know, a lot of those kids just need an opportunity to get away from some bad situations and really blossom. And, And we had definitely had some of those kids, um, had some phenomenal young men that were uh you know great student athletes, you know, had had kids that would watch our dogs while me and my wife went on vacations and things like that. So I mean kids that I've still got really, really tight bonds with and uh and you know just outstanding human beings that just, you know, for some reason or another just didn't get picked up by some of the bigger schools.
0: Yeah, I think um I think at some point a lot of us have kind of uh crossed paths during our career that have taken us down that road and come across a, a job or a career or an area or worked with some people that we've kind of formed a nice bond with. Um, I had a similar experience in South Jersey at a local high school when I was in graduate school as an athletic trainer and a uh, very similar situation. Um, had a super talented high school football team, um, you know, probably middle to lower middle class uh, community, very diverse, but great Great group of kids, great group of staff, great community, and uh, turned out a lot of amazing football talent over the years. Um, yeah, and what you just described kind of reminds me of that. So you've yep. been around the uh, you've been around the block, I guess so to speak, when it comes to, <laughs> to football. And um, I I know you uh, from the healthcare side of things, and you've kind of have that a, a little bit of that background as well, being with strength conditioning stuff and doing what you do now, and also Um, Haven't been at the coach on the coaching side of it, so you bring a very unique perspective to our show about how injuries can kind of play into decisions you make as a coach, whether it be through recruiting or, as in the case of this coming uh, weekend with the NFL draft coming up in a few days here, um, you know, with the decisions that go into finding talent and deciding who to kind of give scholarships to or make part of your roster, who to draft, invest millions of dollars in, and who not to. And I'm curious from your point of view, looking back on all your experience, what was it, the, one of the big factors, I guess, when you're looking at a student athlete or a potential guy to move up to the professional level? Was it the injuries themselves that you looked at, or was it more how the athlete handled those injuries? Did you go to the medical professionals to get their opinions? Like, how did you go about, I guess we could start with the recruiting aspect and then later on, if you want to get into how you think that might affect teams in the NFL draft, I'd be curious to hear yeah. your point of view.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've got a little bit of, uh, I guess, experience on both sides of that as, you know, we recruited kids that some of the bigger schools maybe steered away from because of an injury, but you know, we, we were still very much in the hunt on those kids because of the talent level they showed prior to the injury. And you know it's you know, I think anytime you're dealing with with an injury, you're always kind of taking a gamble as to your betting on the work ethic of the kid and how quickly and how strongly he's going to come back from an injury. Um, and you know on the flip side of it, when I was coaching, especially at Shepherd, we used to host a pro day for an, our basically our entire conference. We had enough NFL kids coming out for a two- or three-year period that, you know, the NFL scouts would send somebody to our pro day, and then we kind of extended an olive, olive branch to some of our competitive schools in our, in our conference to, one, help the NFL scouts instead of going to all these kind of smaller schools throughout West Virginia, Ohio, and Virginia to check out a kid that you know, may be pretty low on the totem pole. Um, you know, we pulled all those kids to one school, which was our school and allowed the scouts to come in and check out, you know, if there's 12 teams in our conference and nine of them have got a kid, you know, the scouts can come see, you know, 10 or 11, those kids with ours. Um, and, and it, it brings value to, to those NFL scouts to come see them. So I knew we used to look at stuff and especially this makes a lot more sense to me now that, like I said, me and you are working in the OR and we're seeing a lot of these traumatic injuries and stuff like that come through with athletes and general public. But, um, you know, I, I think we used to look at stuff as, was it was it a soft tissue injury or, you know, was it joint sparing or was it a traumatic break of a bone? Um, you know, kind of bringing up examples in NFL that we're talking about now, like, we had two quarterbacks, big-name quarterbacks, that went out this year, you know, Dak Prescott with his ankle. And then you had Joe Burrows go out with a, you know, ACL. You know, in, in my mind, looking at those two injuries, I don't really think that Dak Prescott's injury is all that big a deal. You know, I don't know yeah. how you feel about that.
0: Yeah, well, I've spoken about it before on some episodes, and uh, and I've spoken about it on my buddy show. And, yeah. you know, there, there are some instances where you'd almost rather – take the fracture over the ligament injury depending on the joint depending on the nature of the fracture so yeah yeah. i can totally see that
1: you know it's i mean if you look at Dak prescott he's he's you know got a tib fib whatever i'm not real sure what his diagnosis was but if you look at that injury you know i think of it as a broken ankle and it's just a not a matter of if he will come back it's just a matter of when and you know He does, they're going to be so diligent in his rehab protocols and stuff that he's going to be back to to full strength without much worry. You know, on the flip side of that, you have Joe Burrows, who's fresh out of college and gets a torn ACL his first year in the league. And, you know, you look around the league, there's not a lot of quarterbacks that have more than, you know, one torn ACL, maybe two at the most um, before that career really just kind of spirals downward. You know, so, you know, he's one year in the league and, you know, I think he's going to be a really solid quarterback in the league for years to come if he can stay healthy, but he's also one play away from maybe never, ever reaching that potential. So, I mean, I I guess that's, I guess that's how you have to look at those injuries. I mean, you have to take the player into account, which, you know, these, the medical staffs on these NFL teams, when they're looking at are, you know, college players coming out right now at dig, so deep and get so much information on these kids that they, you know, they, they're, they're pretty well informed by the time they make a decision on an injury. Yeah, um, I don't
0: think, I don't think uh, the general population, the casual sports fan, really understands just how in-depth they go. Um, I've given a, a lecture uh, on my previous episodes about the history of the combine and how it was really intended to be a, a medical exam. It wasn't even really intended to kind of evaluate all these other skills that you see them performing now. The, the original intent and the original or the, the main uh, intent even today is to get a, a physical history and a medical screening on these guys and be able to get your sports doctors and surgeons uh, face-to-face so they can get a hands-on examination and really see and look at the imaging studies, MRIs, x-rays, and all that stuff and the medical records to really put together um, a, a a story to see just how extensive their injuries and recoveries and surgeries were and to really build a better picture as to what they're investing in. So I don't think people really understand that much. And in the medical community, and I'm sure you know this, they treat all the sports surgeons, the orthopedists, treat that like a conference. I mean, it's a big to-do. They do case reports there. They get, they have meetings, all the um, NFL team physicians, they have an organization that they form together, and they all meet. So it's a big deal. I've talked about it before. And I'm wondering, I mean, so you know, so we know now how far they go in the NFL to kind of gather all that information but I mean I, I would imagine that at the collegiate level you're probably somewhat limited in what you can obtain what kind of information you can get I, I guess a lot of it is just kind of word of mouth and the, the athletes themselves
1: I know when yeah it's. I mean it's really kind of 100% what it is I mean I know when I was recruiting and stuff um, you know at, at, especially when you're at a school for a long period of time these staffs that are at you know some like these Ohio states and um i'm trying to think of some of the schools that have had long standing here alabama with nick saban and those guys they have these long standing relationships with these high school coaches that they recruit from um you know and i used to tell our kids all the time and i'm sure they say the same thing to these guys is you know if a college coach and i or i would tell our guys in college you know if a pro scout comes in here you know i'm not going to sugarcoat anything to this guy because they're one they're going to find out and two i don't want to burn a bridge for a future kid on a roster that an nfl scout's going to come in here and not believe what i tell him you know so and that was that was kind of the big thing for us you know As like yeah they would come in they would go through um you know they talked to me as a strength coach they would talk to his position coach they would talk to the offensive or defensive coordinator um, they would go down and meet with our head trainer to get a background on all of his injuries. How was he about be having them? Um, you know, how diligent was he and how committed was he to sticking to his rehab protocols? Um, how was he in the weight room? Um, you know, they would ask just about anybody from our athletic director to teachers walking up and down the hall. If they had him in class, what type of person were they? I mean, they were, when they were on our campus and this is remind you, this is a division two school. This is not like they're walking on LSU or Alabama's campus or anything. I mean, they were, they were looking for information on players any and everywhere they could, you know, they're, they're trying to, their job is to uncover red flags um, on these kids and have a reason to not want to pick them up in the draft. I mean, and that's, you know, and that's injuries included. And that's, you know, that they, they will turn over every leaf that they possibly can to try to make sure that, you know, if they go sit in a room and say, Hey, you know, this is a kid out of division two school. We need to look at, you know, probably drafting up a, uh, undrafted free agent contract for this kid, or maybe we need to look at taking him in late in the sixth or seventh round. Um, they better know that guy inside and out, because if something pops up after the fact, I mean, that's the, those scouts lose their jobs in a heartbeat for things like,
0: Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure a lot of those qualities and a lot of that information that they can unpack later probably speaks more volumes than the actual injury itself to some degree. I mean, if you know, you've got two players who had the same injury and then you got one player who is, you know, a real gym rat who's in there every day, you know, making their therapy appointments, following up with their doctors, listening to instructions, following the recommendations and then you got another guy on the other side who maybe skips a, a rehab session or two, or maybe comes sauntering into the training room like an hour late every time they're supposed to meet with the training staff. You know, I'm sure that speaks more volume sometimes to the scouts and to the professional level guys, and even the college recruiters, than, you know, than the injury itself to some degree.
1: Yeah, that's. I know we we had a, a couple of longtime scouts that came in basically year after year. I was there and one of them always gave me the the same quote every year. One of his favorite stats he would look at was games played by the player every single year. And, you know, if we played, we went to the national semifinals or the finals, we played in 14 or 15 games and he would go back and look at his stats and be like, you know, he's only got stats for 11 games. What happened to these other three games or these other four games? I mean, they were really, really good about finding inconsistencies and trying to find why a player didn't play. And, like hey you know you told me he had no injuries but he didn't play in three games so there's something there that i need to know about was it disciplinary was it an injury one of those type of deals and his his big quote was always you know the best ability in the nfl in the nfl is availability, is being able to play <laughs> yeah you know and, and his other big thing was he's like you know these guys aren't going to get healthy in the NFL if they're getting injured on a small college campus or in college where they're supposed to be the one of the best players on the field and they're constantly getting banged up and mixing, you know, missing time in games and things like that, are missing a lot of time in practice, you know. When you throw them into the the NFL swimming pool in the deep end, you know, those kids are going to get banged up and hurt very quickly if they can't physically handle the you know the beating of a college game when you put them out there with with real 25 26 27 8 year old men um, you know that are really going to pound on them and are true professionals know how to take care of their bodies and stuff then you know those those guys are not going to become durable all of a sudden you know it's it, they're going to they're going to follow the trend that they've been putting forth in college and that was that was his big deal with with looking at a lot of these kids he's like yes he looks good on game tape what you've shown me you know all this everything checks out but you know if he's not if he's not dominating this and being healthy here he's not gonna he's not going to do it when he gets in that fail
0: it's funny you mentioned that the first the first thing my eyes go to when i look at like scouting reports and when i look at statistics especially uh, especially in football is i look at games played <laughs> and that's that's probably just a trainer slash pa in me but um it's,
1: it's a really telling yeah. it's a really telling stat you know it's It's great that he's averaging 120 yards rushing as a running back, but he only played in six of our 12 games. So those other six games you're spending the entire week trying to get the backup up to speed with the game plan, not knowing if that kid is going to be able to play or not. And, you know, you're going all the way up to your Saturday kickoff in college, you know, with a 50, 50 chance, his kid's going to play. And when he doesn't play, not only does it does it mess with your offense, your defense, wherever this kid's starting at, it starts, it starts shuffling around your special team's depth as well, sure. which is, you know, another issue.
0: Yeah, you know, and, you know, the other thing that it really kind of tells you too is what kind of, I guess, person that you're dealing with and what attributes they may have. I mean, if you're seeing a guy that's missing five games here, six games here for a pretty mild injury that, most guys maybe might not even miss a game or two for then you're kind of maybe second guessing his you know dedication to his craft and his motivation and you know uh, so that that could tell you something just right look by looking at that stat right like by looking at that on the sheet i mean you don't even maybe necessarily have to talk to him you could just be like hey well i see this guy missed five games last year for a sprained ankle how bad are we talking and if it's just a you know second degree lateral ankle sprain, well, most people are back. Maybe they miss a game or two at the most. You know that's got to raise a red flag. And a lot of times, if you see that in a collegiate player, or even in a high school player, it kind of sets the tone for how their rest of career is going to kind of play out. Because I've seen plenty of guys, and I'm sure you have too, seen plenty of guys that have all the physical attributes, and for whatever reason, they just can't overcome that psychological aspect. And a lot of times the injuries play into that.
1: Yeah. That's, you know, it's, it's, it's a case by case thing, but at some point they've, you know, a lot of those kids when it's a more of a mental thing at some point they've had an injury and somebody is pulling them off to the side and they're like, you know, you just relax until you feel better. And they've kind of built on that a little bit and everything, but I'll tell you, and the flip side of it is, too, is you were talking about how it kind of tells a story about a kid. Um, When I was at Shepherd, we had a a first-team All-American wide receiver, a kid named Billy Brown, really, really good player, probably the best college player I've ever been around. Um, And Billy was a first-team All-Met, which is like the whole D.C. area. He was a first-team All-Met wide receiver and defensive end, and uh, he was about 6'4". About 245, 250, and um, is still still on the Eagles roster right now as a tight end. Um, they, you know, they bulked him up a little bit, but he started for us as a true freshman. And in the last game of the season, uh, went up, caught a touchdown pass in the end zone to win the or to win the last game of the season for us, and came down funny on his knee like a one one legged landing. And uh, you know, he came to the sideline. They checked him out. Did draw a test on him, all that type of stuff, and it was nothing came up. Um, so you know, we didn't think anything about it. Went into the playoffs. Um, he was healthy, played really well throughout the playoffs. And we got into off season. We were doing some plyometrics, and he was just like, you know, coach, my knee doesn't just it just doesn't feel right. So eventually, we took him and got an MRI on it, and uh, come to find out, that he would actually torn his ACL. It just didn't hadn't presented any symptoms, hadn't complained about it. Hadn't done anything, um, you know. So we took him in. He got his reconstruction done, and was back at the beginning of the next season with no issues. He was a hard worker in the weight room, um, physically, you know, genetically was just really gifted as well, which I think kind of helped with his protocol or his rehab. And uh, you know, was was starting the next season as a preseason All American, and you know, we if nobody would ask or if even. No, nobody would have known about that reconstruction if we didn't want to tell anybody. Um, but we kind of spun it in a positive way of, you know, this kid Tori's ACL helped us win two more playoff games. Went into the off season, was busting his butt in the weight room at off season, and uh, and you know, it was us that basically had to pull the reins back on him and said, hey, you know, let's go get you checked out. Um, and you know, the, the kid pushed through it mentally, physically, everything he needed to do. So. You know, if you're talking about a kid like him where you've got questions about his work ethic, it's a great story to spin it more in a positive way to use an injury, you know, to shine some light on the kid's work ethic and and what he would do if he got put in that situation.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, if I'm a if I'm a medical team medical advisor, if I'm on the medical staff and I hear that, that's that's uh, music to my ears right there. That's uh, a no brainer. That's a guy that you don't overlook purely because he tore his ACL and you hear those three letters. Um, Yeah,
1: (laughs) I think I think in in the long run they used it as a reason not to draft him. We were we were pretty sure he, we were told by several people that he was going to be picked up by multiple teams in the sev- in the 7th round, which you know, that's pretty t- all school kid, but sure, yeah. um, they passed on him, but then he got, you know, picked up with a really nice free agent contract as soon as the draft was done and him and our we had a safety that year, two kids coming off that national championship team that both landed with the Eagles and uh, and the other kid safety actually ended up starting about five game for him at the end of the season two years ago when their defensive secondary was really, really depleted. But I mean he played quite a bit.
0: Yeah, I've got geez, I got a million stories about kids like that I could probably go into. I don't think the <laughs> I don't think we got the time allotted for it, unfortunately. But uh yeah
2: Absolutely. I mean that,
0: you know, all the all the things you mentioned and that example you gave is is exactly why um Injuries are a big part of any game, any sport for that matter. And uh, let me ask you this. Uh, as we kind of wrap things up here, uh, unless you had some other stuff you wanted to interject, I was just going to ask you before we leave, though, what would be your words of wisdom or advice to those young up-and-coming high school athletes maybe looking to get recruited or go on to a play in the collegiate level? Um, any Any words of wisdom as far as, I guess, you know, with your background, how to take care of themselves, how to kind of deal with injury or move forward from an injury and make it to that next level, if they're interested in doing that.
1: Well, I mean, the big thing with it is, is that this, uh, in the society we get into, these kids have got so I'm so specialized. I'm I'm still a, a huge old school fan of getting out there and and playing as many sports as you can. Um, you know, it's, at some point or another, I still think you need to continue your, your, year round strength training program. You know, you may be a football, you know, you may be a DB. That's also a really good point guard. Um, that's also a, you know, either a great outfielder or, you know, is, is great in one of the, the you know, the track events, that type of stuff and everything. Like I think playing multiple sports. Um, has long-term benefits that you can't get through training but I also do think that you need to to stay in the, into a, a, a you know an annual year-round strength program that allows you to kind of peak for your your main sport whatever that may be and some kids don't have that that figured out yet um, but you know the getting the strength program is has definitely showed that you're you're less likely to get injured um you know you you're definitely will see the performance. Um, benefits that come out of that type of stuff and everything. It's just, it's, I think kids are getting pulled by these, you know, specialty trainers. If you play baseball, you need to be going to a hitting coach and a pitching coach and then playing for two travel league teams and all this type of stuff and everything. And I just, I, I think that those kids are one, they're, they're getting into certain movement patterns that are setting them up for long-term injury instead of, you know, football is a lot of linear speed type stuff work and everything where basketball is a lot of lateral movement and jumping and plyometrics and there's plenty of that in football too and then you know you get the track in the offseason if you're a one two and four by one sprinter that's also playing football um i think the benefits of of learning how to you know proper gait and stride and 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 running form and stuff like that is invaluable that comes out of that deal so that's a uh, if I could say anything, I would say, try to find some auxiliary sports that would complement what you do or what you think your main sport will be, and then continue to to strength train to uh, to build a solid foundation for presenting or preventing yourself from from getting injured in the first
0: place. yeah, man, i I echo the exact same thoughts on all those things you mentioned. i I couldn't agree with you more. I have that conversation with parents and with young athletes that I see on the daily in the office all the time. And I guess it goes to show you our old school way of thinking and where we come from as far as our training. And, um, but it's really important. And, you know, the medical world knows this. The sports medicine world knows this. It's not new. Um, we definitely see a lot more of these kind of chronic uh, injuries in younger athletes that you never used to see back in the day because they used to do multiple sports. They used to cross-train. Um, so I couldn't agree more with, uh, with, with what you just said and yeah. it, you know it's you sound like a former coach and a former strength coach <laughs> and a former player and um and a biology pre-med major that's exactly what you sound like right there and i appreciate that <laughs> i appreciate that
1: it's amazing how that all culminates yeah, it, 20, it,
0: it 20 all came ago. together right there in that last yeah. uh, Bit of the, advice. One, the
1: one thing i would tell kids and i i got a lot of this and i've i've got some friends that have got kids that are coming through and going through the recruiting process and stuff like that is is when you if you're if you have kids that are going to colleges universities on on recruiting trips i would ask for time to talk to the strength coach because just to be honest with you you're you will spend a ton of time with your position coach in football you will spend a lot of time with your your coordinators, whether it be special teams, offense, defense, doesn't make a difference, but you will spend more time with your strength and conditioning coordinator and probably, you know, hopefully you're not your training staff, but you will be around those people a lot.
0: Oh, no, I I think you got to get, I think you got to get in as good with them and know and meet them as much as a strength guy, because let's just say, I mean, you don't, nobody expects to get hurt, but you know, if you want to maintain a certain level of uh, health and, uh, be able to participate at a hundred percent your skill and p- capability. Well, the training staff is going to be a part of that along with the strength coach. They work hand in hand often. And and I, I even go so far as to say like research who the medical staff is research who the team doctors are and go it when you're on your recruiting trip, visit the medical facilities, visit the training facilities. That's because yep. you're going to be spending a lot of time there, especially if you're looking to play football. Yeah. It's,
1: it's, I mean, you're hundred percent right. I mean, you'll, You'll spend a lot of time in in study hall and and in the weight room and in the training room, you, especially your your uh, your during the season during the off season. Hopefully, you can get away from the training room and things like that if you're healthy and don't need to be in there. But I mean, you'll you'll spend a minimum of an hour and a half to two hours a day with your strength coach, where you know you're going to see your position coach for drills on the field, pre practice meetings, film sessions, that type of stuff. But you're not going to spend near as much you know close quarters time as you will with your strength coaches and stuff like that so that's uh everybody you know they they love especially you go to these big programs they love walking you through these Taj Mahal's you know type of locker rooms and weight rooms and stuff like that but it, it really comes down to the guy that's in there shouting instructions to you and stuff like that and leading you in the right direction because if those guys don't do a good job prepping you when you get out on the field and you go against a team that has had a really solid strength and conditioning program and off season, put them through and things like that. Um, You're going to, you're going to see it on the scoreboard, but you're going to fill it with, you know, black and blue bruises after the game as well. So,
0: yeah. And I'll I'll even approach it from the sports medicine standpoint. You know um, you, you want to know that those resources are available to you. You want to be comfortable with the staff that's there because I've worked with a lot of athletes over the years that may be coming from a small high school or somewhere like a small part of town where they didn't have those resources available to them, to them at the high school level. And so often they would not come into the training room just because uh, out of fear and and anxiety about not knowing what our role was. You know, a lot of us, a lot of athletes would look at the training room as you don't want to go in there because you might not come back out. And You might lose your starting job if you walk in there and coach sees you sitting on a table getting evaluated. And that couldn't be more opposite from the truth. I mean, the whole point of that staff and those trainers there are are for, for the athlete. They're there to keep everybody playing healthy, keep them participating at the top of their game. And so they become just as important. And, um, it's, it's an early relationship to build upon and it's a good place to kind of start. And you need to feel comfortable there because often that becomes a haven. Usually, you know, I, I was in a minor league baseball facility or with a team back in 2001 where the coaches never came in the training room. Uh, it was for players and training staff only. And they did that so that the players could build trust with the training staff and they could use it as a kind of like a, an outlet. No reporters, yeah. no media were allowed in there. The players could use it as kind of like a little escape room. Um, obviously, the primary purpose was for them to get treated for their injuries and do their therapy and rehab programs, but it also became kind of like a, a safe haven slash shelter for them in case they needed to get away <laughs> from the media yeah. or from a reporter or from somebody who's pressing them on an issue that they just didn't want to deal with. So it became like a psychological kind of crutch for them too, and that's a big part of... Uh, you know, if the physical injury aspect of it is important, but there's also a big mental aspect of being injured and having to go through injury. And so we're getting a little off topic, but I think the point yeah. is made, you know, <laughs> it's a really important part of the whole process and, and how you become successful at that level and how you move on. And it's a big part of the process of being evaluated and how people go about finding talent. Um, so, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's it's maybe for another show there's a
0: yeah we have to... a, whole,
1: a whole different uh, black hole you can go into oh, yeah. with uh, with cultures in the weight room and relationship with with training staff and things so
0: well listen uh I want to thank you for spending the time and coming on the show and talking to me um the draft is in two days one day was it the 29th it's yep. twenty seventh right now so yep. uh, any any projections any surprises that you foresee coming?
1: Um, you know, it's, it, my, my biggest thing is I've as I've paid more and more attention to the draft is that two things is, is the teams that, that draft with the, with the higher floor in in perspective of players tend to be happier in the long run. And uh, what I mean by that is like, you look at. You look at Trevor Lawrence, like he's going to go as the one, number one pick, regardless of, of what happens is, you know, it's he has got he's got an incredibly high ceiling as as well. But he's got such an incredibly high floor is that he does everything so well as a professional already that even if he comes into the league and doesn't blow you away, he's still going to be a solid pro for, I think, a lot of years. And then, you know, you look at the number two pick where you've got a guy like Zach Wilson. Like, he's probably got as high a ceiling as Trevor Lawrence does, but his floor is so far below a guy like Trevor Lawrence. Like, he's he could come into the league and he could be Ryan Leafs type of situation, you know. And that's, that's I, I guess, it just depends on whether, you know, everybody goes to Las Vegas and some people like to gamble. And some people don't. I think you just have to kind of decide, you know, what, what type of person are you? Do you want to bet the farm and, and go after a Zach Wilson or, you know, would you rather look at, you know, I look like the, the two other guys that you can look at, you, you look at Justin Fields and you look at Trey Lance, you know, just, I think Justin Fields is, is, has got a great body of work and does a lot of things really well. And then you've got Trey Lance who's at an FCS school that hasn't faced a lot of competition or even for that, I man Zach Wilson, you know, is, at BYU and lost to Coastal Carolina you know so there's a there's a lot of scary quarterbacks that are looking to go early if if I was a lot of those teams if I wasn't 100 percent sure on some of those guys there's some great offensive linemen there's some really great defensive linemen in this league that could you know be a 10-year starters for y'all pro guys down the league even though if it's not a huge need to you it's it's uh you know I think those are safer safer draft picks than you know drafting a quarterback this year and then having to turn around in two years and do it again.
0: Yeah, you totally you totally answered that question with a coach's hat on. There's no <laughs> doubt in my mind. I look I look at the NFL draft as probably one of the biggest most hyped drafts of all the professional sports and here's why. I feel like there is a certain so you have your skill positions, and then you got your other positions in the NFL, right? You got, you got the receivers that could potentially break a, a play or a game open, right? Wide open. You got a quarterback that could probably do the same. You got some running backs that are probably in the same category. And then you got all the other guys. The linemen, the defensive backs, you know, the linebackers, the special teams guys. I feel like there's just so many diamonds in the rough in the NFL pool that it's kind of like a bell-shaped curve. If you don't get in those early picks at those skilled positions and you can't get a top-notch guy, then you should just immediately shift your focus to whatever those other diamonds in the rough are and try and scoop them up in the middle pack because there's so few guys on the football field at any one time that can actually make a huge impact. I mean, there's only one ball. You're spreading it between 11 guys. You need the guys that have to grind out every play. And the linemen, both on the offensive, defensive side of the ball, the linebackers that make up that second tier. Um, I mean, those are, those are, to me, where the draft is won and lost. And often those guys are overlooked, and they don't want to pay attention to them because, you know, it doesn't make for good ratings. And I understand yeah. that. But uh, I, I, I really look from a year-to-year draft perspective. I always look at, okay, so who are the guys that are going to, in the late first round, maybe second round, going to be the guys like a year or two from now that are going to be, you know, making pancake blocks and getting all pro nominations and being like stout figures on the offensive or defensive side of the ball for years to come for these teams. Because inevitably, in my book, those are the things that are going to win you a championship. If you can't protect your star players with a good line and you can't get after the other team's star players with a good line, then you're sunk
1: yeah that's i agree that's uh there's there's two different mindsets there's i think there's some up-and-coming teams like the dolphins where they have they've built like you were saying from the lines out and have stacked the defense and then this year they've they're prime and set to go in this draft and go get some real offensive talent to go along with what they got that are going to be great and then you got teams that just Like I think the Broncos are probably like one of those guys, like they're going to, they've, they spent the last two years or two of the last three years on a first round draft pick on a quarterback. And they're poised to take another one and Trey Lance this year that nobody's real sure about. Like at some point, I feel like if, if you've got a first round draft pick and you're not sure about a quarterback package it with a third and a fifth and go find a, a quarterback that you're, you feel pretty good about that. It's currently got NFL experience. At least you know what you're getting at that point.
0: Yeah. You know, you've, you've, you've echoed the sentiments of a lot of people I've spoken to. Uh, there seems to be, I'm wondering how that's going to play out on draft day. It sounds like a lot of the experts are even saying something similar about package. Some teams need to just package up some deals and drop down and let some of these teams yeah. that are really, really in need of dire need of like a skilled position, like a quarterback move up. And what do they, you, uh, What's
1: what's your dream scenario for the Giants? What do you guys What are you hoping you guys get?
0: Yeah, so I mean, from a giant, as a giant fan, obviously, uh, we still need <laughs> a, we still we still got a lot of work on the offensive side of the ball. I think uh, Judge has done a great job uh, bringing some good talent in on the defensive end, and the defense played really well last year. They've and they've even got a couple of good uh, offseason free agency signings. Um, I still think they need to go uh, on the O line. I mean, they their O line struggles so bad. And if you can't give a young quarterback like Daniel Jones time to make plays, which we've seen he can do, then I don't care how many skilled guys you add on the side, in the backfield or on the you know spread out wide, uh, it ain't going to work. So I know there's been a lot of talk about them getting a receiver. If Waddle slips down, they might try mm-hmm. to land him or Devonta Smith. But I think if you got a if if all these teams are looking at quarterbacks and receivers right off the bat, man, if you can grab one of these really high level. Offensive lineman, I say go for it because the guy they got last year, Thomas from Georgia, he really hasn't kind of grown into his yet. But could you imagine having him, you know, reach his peak maybe within the next year or two, and then another guy around the same age, maybe a year or two younger, also at their peak? I mean, that's gonna you're gonna have a successful O line for years to come. And you got your young quarterback already, so it's like, you know, I say go O line.
1: I uh, I agree. I think they've got three really good offensive linemen. The You know, they've got the kid from Oregon and Sewell, and then they've got uh, – what's his name from uh, Northwestern? Uh, I forget. Uh, Slater, sorry. Okay. Rashawn Slater. And then they've got the other kid that I really like. It kills me to say this because I'm a Virginia fan, but the Virginia Tech has got a really, really good offensive tackle that is supposed to be a mid-round kid. Um, you know, and, I, and you've got three offensive tackles, like you're saying there, one of those is probably going to slip to you guys. And unless you've got somebody slated that you think is a kind of diamond in the rough, you may be able to pick up with, with a, a later round pick and develop. But, you know, I think ideally for you guys would be able to move the, the kids you got last year, move him inside and find you a true tackle and, and make sure up one side of the offensive line for you for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, they, they, they made some good offseason moves. They got Gallad- Galladay uh, as a receiver, who's um, Love that That was a that great, was a great pick. pick too. I really uh, was impressed by that signing. Um, you know, you got Saquon coming back. Uh, you know, Slayton has shown that he can be a, a big play receiver. He's made some big plays over the couple of years. Um, you know, the, they, they've historically have been always been able to produce good tight ends, even guys that aren't really highly draft picks. And they seem to always have a pretty good stable of tight ends, uh, ready to go at any point. So, I'm not too worried about Ingram. I think he'll bounce back. I think he'll have a better year than he did last year. Last year was pretty poor for him. And he's yeah. still pretty young. He's still got some fuel in the tank. So I think you gotta go O-line or uh, you know, I, I think that's really their big glaring need.
1: Yeah, that's I I guess it's either one of two ways is either sure up your O line so you got more time to to work with the guys you get downfield or or possibly bring in a little bit more little more skill position type of upgrade so that you maybe you don't need as much time to get open, but that's, yeah. I mean, you look at most of the NFL teams, they not only have a number one wide receiver, they've got a number two that's pretty good and kind of a, uh, a role playing three with a tight end that they can split. And then, you know, Saquon's as is, good is a of running back as you'll find in the NFL. So I kind of agree yeah. with you a bit, but <laughs> Build something up front, keep your quarterback upright, and then you know. I, th- I think the Galladay is probably as good as any wide receiver they're going to get in the draft, anyway.
0: Yeah, I think you'll be a lot happier playing in New York versus Detroit. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what how you couldn't be.
1: <laughs> I was going to say that that, that that you didn't have to go out on a limb on that one. No.
0: <laughs> All right, Jeremy. Well, listen, thanks for stopping in, man. I appreciate your time. Uh, always good chatting with you, and uh, absolutely. I know I'll be seeing you again soon. And I'm sure that. our listeners yeah. will enjoy hearing your perspective on things. You, you definitely uh, hit on all the major points that my show tries to get at. You know, you've got a little bit of that healthcare, sports medicine background as well, being a strength coach. And you you, you bring a very strong coaching background, uh, perspective to things. So, um, really good information. Thanks for sharing.
1: Absolutely, man. I had a blast. Look forward. We'll do it again sometime.
0: Sounds good. All right, buddy. Take care. All
1: right, Take care.
0: The Injured List Podcast is proudly sponsored by TransitioningVeteran.com. Founded in 2008 by a former enlisted armed service member, Transitioning Veteran provides free information and resources to help guide past, future, and present service members through the transition process from active service to civilian life. This free website provides links, articles, and general information about the services available to members of the armed forces and their dependents. It can be a daunting task searching for pertinent information in today's technological age transitioningveteran.com hopes to provide a centralized location for the many resources that are available to military veterans. From education benefits, employment opportunities, to medical benefits for both military members and their families, make transitioningveteran.com your go-to resource. On behalf of the Injured List podcast, we thank you for your service, and through our partnership with transitioningveteran.com, we hope to give back to the military community.
1: You're listening to the Injured List Podcast with your host, Brian Scott, your go-to resource for all sport injury-related topics. For show notes and other resources, visit theinjuredlist.com.